0: At the beginning of the season, we brought you the tragedy that was the assassination of our beloved John F. Kennedy. The Kennedys were known for a lot. Robert F. Kennedy was Attorney General and Jacqueline Kennedy, JFK's wife, was America's truest sweetheart. But there are some dark stories tied to the Kennedy family and today we're going to get into one of them. We are talking about the murder of Martha moxley we are your hosts helen allen and sherry Ferreira. this is the chalk line good evening everyone and the highlights of the news this thursday No, before we get into this, if I sound a little nervous this week, it's because we have an audience. Right. <laughs> Sherry's boyfriend, Leitrella, is here, and right before we started recording, they um, shared puffs of their <laughs> mutual inhaler, and if that is not adorable, I don't know. Because we're asthmatic. Yeah, it's, we uh, are as it's cute when asthmatics unite, you yeah. know what I mean? Right. It's we're adorable. So cute. So, anyway, um, Martha Elizabeth Moxley was a 15-year-old American high school student from Greenwich, Connecticut. And as if home. you heard Greenwich and got shivers, <laughs> it's because you're poor. Right. Right. <laughs> it's because you live around the surrounding <laughs> cities of Greenwich. Literally. <laughs> um, so, they lived in this, like, little neighborhood. Actually, I don't know if little was the right word because oh. I literally didn't look into it. <laughs> They lived in this neighborhood called Bell Haven. and what I do know about this neighborhood is that it is very wealthy. Like, even Greenwich Standard Wealthy. Like, beyond Greenwich Standard Wealthy. And if you don't know, Greenwich is rich. Yeah. It's like the richest, one of the richest places in the country, not just Connecticut. So, the Moxleys had moved to Bell Haven from California just a year before this whole thing goes down. During um the summer in question the summer before all of this goes down um Martha had become friends with two of the Skakel brothers Michael who was 15 years old like her and his older brother Tommy um the Skakel family actually were her new neighbors after the move so that's how they kind of like became friends got it um now you're probably thinking who the hell are the Skakels you told me this was about the Kennedys yes okay so let's talk about that <laughs> The Skakel family in question is as follows. Rushton Skakel is the, the patriarch of the family, and he has his sons and daughters. There's six um, Skakel children. Jesus. And his wife, Anne, actually, unfortunately, passed away a few years before this all goes down. Um, Rushton's sister was Ethel Skakel, who is better known as Robert F. Kennedy's wife. Ooh. RFK. So, Rushton's sons were considered cousins of the Kennedys. Obviously, they are not technically Kennedys, because there's no blood there with the Kennedys. But they are considered family, and the Kennedys themselves recognize them as family and cousins. But yeah, and as we tell this story, I think that the ties to the Kennedy family play a huge role in how things shake out. So, it's just important that you do know that that's, you know, part of it. Yeah. Now, the sons that we will be focusing on are Thomas and Michael Skakel, the ones that I said Martha became friends with. Yeah. Cute. Okay. Our story starts on October 30th, 1975. And October 30th, to most people in the country, is October 30th. But in Connecticut and a few other states, it is known as Mischief night. Oh the God. night that you don't want to wake up the next morning to toilet paper on your trees. Eggs on your house. It's just the whole nine yards. If you are hated in high school, you better run on this night. <laughs>
1: right. Okay. Oh, my God. Um,
0: Literally. Now, I think, honestly, like, being from Connecticut, I could say mischief night is a little bit outdated. But 100%. You, knew, you still wake up on Halloween day and there is toilet paper trees. But honestly, I feel like people toilet paper their own trees now for decoration. Right. And I'm like, you fake... I'm like, it's October 25th. <laughs> you did that yourself.
1: Really? But, <laughs> but, like, I don't think anyone participates in that anymore. At least where I'm Yeah. From.
0: But, okay, so this is 1975, though, and it's a huge thing. So, this night, being Mischief Night, Martha is dying to go out with her friends. Now, initially, her mom says no to letting her go out because she was grounded at the time for kind of something stupid. But, like, whatever. You're a teenager. You get grounded left and right. Right. At least I did. I would do some dumb shit. <laughs> my mom would be like, that's it. Give me your phone. Right. And I'm like, I just breathed. Please. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. i But in hindsight, I'm sure I was a little s <laughs> f- You right. know? It's you. So, Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> but you know in typical teenage fashion and I can totally attest to this being how like my mom and I were um I think she probably laid it on thick and her mom just was like kind of guilty and so eventually she was just like okay okay I'll let you go but you have to come home by 9 right. 30. And you know 9 30 kind of a big ask when you're a teenager and it's mischief night. Yeah. So Martha ends up going over to the Skakel's house. Okay. Um, the not Kennedy's. Yes. Kind of they were just, like, running around the neighborhood. Um, that's what her mom thought was going to be the case. Like, she just thought, oh, the houses are close together. They're just kind of, you know, doing their mischief night thing. Yeah. Turns out she went to the Skakel's house um, with a few other friends. Now, there are claims that there's, like, sexually suggestive activity. That's a direct quote from one of the articles. Um, and drinking going on between Tommy and Martha and Michael. But Kind of just claims no one truly knows. Okay.
1: You mean, like, happening with all three of them together or just happening, like, like in the party?
0: It's hard to say, and we'll get into it later a little bit more of the specifics, but, mm-hmm. yeah, there wasn't really necessarily a party. I think it was Martha and two of her girlfriends and then the Skako brothers. Okay, so they were just partying. But and regardless, then so yeah, they're, they're high school kids. Like, they're experimenting with stuff. Whatever. Got it. 9.30 comes and goes, and there's no Martha showing up at home. So now her mom's, like, a little annoyed, honestly, because, and she's, like, not really worried at this point, because, well, like, Martha's kind of, like, I read in a bunch of places, like, the, quote, it girl. And so, like, she gets a lot of attention, and she has a lot of friends, and at the end of the day, she's a teenager. So on this night, particularly, too, like, kids stay out late. So her mom's really just, like, this (laughs) Like, she's not, like, there's no red flags, no alarm bells ringing. Like, she's literally just, like, my daughter's late of course right like there's nothing to tell her any foul play happened of course yeah um the night gets later and later and so martha's mom dorothy kind of starts just like asking around and like i said at this point it's still not foul play to her she's literally like Oh my god, whose house did my daughter crash at because yeah. she just like And is like being it's mischief
1: night. Like of course she's not gonna be home on time. Right.
0: And like That's not and she did she
1: <laughs>
0: Martha's Martha too cool for the homework. Right. No, but literally Dorothy was like, I mean, it's not Martha to show up this late with no call or anything. Mm. So she is starting okay. to get like a little bit freaked, but not still assuming foul play and as like a mother of a high school girl she's probably thinking like oh god did martha drink and fall asleep somewhere like you know what i'm yeah, saying yeah like that's gonna be the highest bit of concern it's right. not gonna jump exactly zero she's to thinking classic high school stuff right. who did martha see who did she get mixed up with what happened she calls around um and helen one of martha's friends that she was with provides the tea Thanks, Helen, girl. Thanks, Helen, I mean, girl. Uh, Helen <laughs> says that the last place she saw Martha was when they were at the Skiggle's house.
1: <laughs> <laughs> huh?
0: <laughs> Don't spit it out, Sherry. Don't spit out your wine. <laughs> oh, my God. The house? <laughs> so. <laughs> so. <laughs> no, so <laughs> let me say that again. Helen claims the last time she saw Martha was when they were at the Skakel's house. So Dorothy is like, okay, I'll call them. So she calls the Skakel's house and it's like the middle of the night at this point. But Dorothy is a concerned mom. So, you know, and Tommy Skakel, who again is 17, picks up the phone and he basically tells her, yeah, I don't know where Martha is. Okay. So which, you know, again, Dorothy's not really worried that any foul play went on. She's like, Oh cool, so like maybe Martha went to somebody else's house after she went to the Skakels and just Helen didn't know that. So then she um just kind of I don't know, she's alerted enough that maybe Martha was drinking, maybe she was unsafe, whatever. So she does end up calling the police that night. And the police take it seriously. Immediately. Because what did I tell you? It's a rich town. Right. Not surprised at all. Right. And not to mention, it's a rich, safe town. So the police are bored as hell. You know? I can imagine. They know everyone. They're like, they're Today's like Today's the day, boys. <laughs> We're going to go look for that girl on mischief night. Like, that's literally- right. I'm sure they're it's They're like, just- little Martha?
1: Oh my God, I know her.
0: Yeah, I'll be down in a sec. Yeah, we'll go find her. Don't <laughs> like, worry. Like, no, she's missing. Yeah. I need your help. <laughs> like, please take this- to- No. So the police are like- Searching and everyone kind of looks for Martha, but she's literally nowhere to be found. So essentially, yeah. they just put it off till the morning because they're like chalking it up to like, oh, high schoolers—they're just hanging out with each other. She'll come home in the morning. Yeah. The next morning, Martha still doesn't show up. So her mom goes to the Skakel's house, and I believe it's like around like in between like 9 a.m. and and midday, like 12, and. There's no one at the Skakel's home, by the way, besides the kids. Like,
1: oh. the parents,
0: um, uh, what's, Rushton Skakel, the father, yeah. he was on a hunting trip. Okay. And the mother, like deceased. I said, is deceased. Oh. So, Michael answers the door. Now, he says he does not know anything about where Martha could be. And this is a direct quote from Dorothy Moxley in 2000. She says that she said... Quote, "I'm Dorothy Moxley and I live across the street and I'm looking for my daughter Martha. Do you know if Martha's here?" "No, Martha was not there and he looked and he didn't look healthy. He looked mm. well, I actually think he looked hungover. I was going to say this little <laughs> was hungover." <laughs> "Yeah." <laughs> So that's like, a direct quote from Dorothy. She's like, mm-mm, he was drinking last night, where's my daughter? Yeah, I That's, mean, like, mom mode immediately.
1: That was the last place she was, I mean...
0: Right, exactly. Mom. So, not long after this, a friend of the Moxley family actually finds Martha's body. And it's in, I guess you could say, the backyard of the Moxley estate. So she was just, like, in
1: their backyard and they didn't find her the night before? I don't get that.
0: Well, so... Yes. And honestly, it is weird. But I think that they probably just didn't check her backyard whatsoever. Because if you think about it, if she was in her backyard, wouldn't she have just gone home? So I think maybe the police and the mom and everybody, they probably just weren't checking the yard because they're like, why would she be in our backyard? You know what I mean? They're thinking because she was like being a high schooler on mischief night, they're thinking she's probably everywhere except for home.
1: Yeah, originally when you said that, my eyebrows were at, like, my hairline, and now they're a little bit lowered, so (laughs) I'm
0: less worried, it's fine. So, unfortunately, Martha's body was found with severe head trauma, and there was a trail of blood from her driveway of her house back through this, like, high grass, and it ended near a pine tree where Martha was found, unfortunately beaten to death. And with her pants down. I mean, I can't even... I, that's horrible. No, and it's... to think, like,
1: also, like, they're rich. They probably have these, like, huge acres of, mm-hmm. like, land her and shit. Her house specifically
0: like... is two and a half acres. And, yeah, I mean, it's just... At this point, they're all like, what in the world could have happened? Now, nearby her body... This is kind of hard to explain, but I'm going to do it so that you can get the best picture in your head... Um, they found this, like, piece of a golf club. Whoa. Okay. Okay, so it turned out to be a six iron specifically. And Martha had been repeatedly struck with the club so hard that the club shattered in half. And a piece of the club was stabbed into her neck. I mean... And, like, I don't know if you've ever held a golf club before, but those do not just shatter in half. Like, that must have been extreme force like no possible no they're definitely
1: like they're sturdy as hell (laughs) so whoever oh my god right
0: so like i I said so brutal no accident now i think this is a good time to discuss the testimony of crime reporter len levitt um this man dug into the case and had a lot to say about the timeline so i just kind of want to go over what he said because it's very helpful in picturing the night So in 2003, Len Levitt reported saying, and this is just going to be a long quote of his because I don't want to do it a disservice or, you know, create anything else out of it. So I'm just going to go ahead and read what he said, and we'll talk about it after. Martha and Michael were in a Lincoln in the driveway of the Skakel home. Tommy comes and joins them, so the three of them are sitting in the front seat. Martha's in the middle between Tommy and Michael, and they're listening to music. Now, they were in the Lincoln until around 9.30 p.m. when two other Skakel brothers said that they needed the car so that they could drive their cousin, Jimmy Tarion, to his house to watch the U.S. premiere of Monty Python's Flying Circus. Oh, my (laughs) fucking god. Michael told police he left with his brothers and cousin while Martha and her friends stayed behind with Tommy. Now, Len Levitt said, what goes on between Martha and Tommy then is sort of playful, pushing back and forth with sexual overtones. At one point, Tommy pushes Martha down and falls on top of her. And the other two girls that I had mentioned before that were with them yeah. got, like, so embarrassed, I guess, because, it, I, I don't know, I guess they thought it was, like, awkward that they were, like, other wheels. Four to or wheeling. You know, yeah. yeah. So, and they leave and go home, leaving Martha with Tommy. Martha never gets home.
1: Okay, so Tommy, um, you're suspicious. You're As ha- all, right?
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. And, like, police believe that Martha was murdered sometime between 9.30 and 10 p.m. on October 30th. Now, like I said, Len Levitt's um, testimony says that they were in the Lincoln until around 9.30. So I just want to make that very clear. But... The autopsy also said that it could have been as late as 5:30 a.m. on October 31st that she was murdered. Okay, but that's like the hugest window. It's that's a very a big, big window. Window. So let's talk about the autopsy. Right. So, like I said, Greenwich, Greenwich is not necessarily like a small town, but it is super wealthy, and because of that, people deem it to be so safe. So, murder hasn't happened in this town for I think it said like 30 years. Like, Greenwich is one of the wealthiest places in the country. This neighborhood is also specifically very affluent. So I think that they just didn't really know what to do with a murder case. And they also didn't have anyone in the Greenwich police force to do the autopsy. They didn't have a medical examiner. Yeah. So because of this, there really isn't anyone to do it except for that they have to bring someone in from the state to do it so this kind of delays the whole thing the autopsy is what made that window so large for the time of death but police however specifically think that she was killed around 9 30. so like levitt's original like timeline exactly. or piecing together what so, happened um
1: so is there any more like evidence on that
0: i guess
1: <laughs> I Baby. don't use that tone of voice with me.
0: <laughs> so dog. here's the evidence, and we'll talk about it. I have when her voice gets hot like <laughs> Um, Apparently, dogs were barking around 9.30 p.m., and so that's what they go on. They um, obviously, <laughs> I don't know. When I hear this, I'm like, okay, and what did the dog say when he took the stand? <laughs> Why was he barking? I'm like, we need to find out I'm picturing, like, a dog sitting at the stand with, like, a cigar. And he's like, I'll tell you what I saw that night. I was barking. It was about 9.30 when I was barking. (laughs) I don't know. I'm just like, what? So, okay, so essentially dogs told them when Martha was killed. And then they bring in a (laughs) fortune teller. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I was like, oh, here we go. So, yes, this is... um, incriminating to say the least oh this is the most concrete evidence we've had in here and like
1: that's really all we get about the time of death the Uh, dogs i'd like to believe that dogs have like a sixth sense
0: like sherry let me remind you these are cousins of the kennedys there's no better evidence besides dogs in this case this case is literally laughable for that and that is devastating for the victim But, you know, there isn't really any answer to the final autopsy report because it's never really been disclosed to the public. So we don't necessarily know if there was anything like sexual assault because, you know, she was found with her pants down. Yes. Um, However, I have to assume that there wasn't because they do make it clear that there was literally no physical evidence on the scene, even on the golf club. But I also should make it clear that the handle part of the golf club is nowhere to be seen. So, I mean, that's where the fingerprints would probably be. But also, I'm thinking, like, if that piece got stuck into her neck, couldn't there have been fingerprints on that piece? But I don't know how it broke, because maybe it broke while he was holding the handle. I'm saying maybe maybe, because you know I have. Yeah. (laughs) We're not done. I do need to make it clear there was no physical evidence on the scene, so... And, you know, we also have to consider the fact that these are all teenagers. When there is, like, a serial killer or a serial rapist, they don't leave physical evidence because they've done it before. But we are talking about maybe a 15 or 17-year-old doing this. So I can assume they're like, these I really kids don't can... think these are, like, rocket scientists who know how to conceal physical evidence of, like, semen or whatever. Yeah. So I don't necessarily think that there was sexual assault but yeah i can assume you that, can't rule it out
1: i can assume since they're saying there was no physical evidence that there weren't even any like i don't know clear enough like to get like a print off of, her body mm-hmm. or like any sign of it which i know like sexual assault and physical assault is same, different things uh, but i know with stuff like that like sometimes there isn't evidence left behind so i guess it's right. really like it's not
0: always clear cut um and it yeah. kind of depends
1: on who the perpetrator is too but, like, given the circumstance, if they're so heavily saying there's no physical evidence and I kind of... You kind of have to take it for what they're saying.
0: Yeah. I Yeah, definitely. But at this point, like, we can't say there was or wasn't, but, you know, moving on. So, the police are able to trace the golf club back to a specific set that was actually owned by the Skakel family. <laughs> no... <laughs> I'm just passionate. Keep I know. Going, keep I going. know. The clubs formerly belonged to Anne, the mother. But like I said, Anne passed away, so obviously she's not our killer. Yeah. Um, the father, also like I said, was on a hunting trip at the time. So this kind of narrows police's search and makes them focus on Michael and Tommy, the two that were with Martha that night. Mm-hmm. Who were the only ones who had access to the
1: clubs. Logical. Yeah,
0: Exactly. I think it's important to note that both brothers had an interest in Martha that weird. wasn't platonic. It's weird. It's weird. So it, yeah, <laughs> it's and weird. and it gets and this is gonna make people uncomfy because when I was reading it, I was uncomfy, and Matt can tell you this case had me sweating when I was researching Not it because all the weirdo words I don't like. It. I and don't like it. I don't like <laughs> horny teenagers. I just don't. I never did even when I was a teenager i thought it was so weird so (laughs) i hate talking about it but here we go okay on october 4th 1975 so like about uh, three weeks before the murder martha writes in her diary i went to a party tom s was being an ass at the dance he kept putting his arms around me and making moves Then she writes again, um, actually this was a little bit before the first entry that I just read, I can't be friends with Tom. Just because I talk to him doesn't mean I like him. I really have to stop going over there. She also notes that Michael put his hand on her knee when she did not welcome it, and also that Michael was starting to tell her that she was leading Tom on. So it, like, there's there's a lot of drama there with the three of them, and... And she's clearly uncomfortable with it because she is writing about it in her diary. But as we know, she does not stop hanging out with them because October 30th comes around and her and her friends go to his house.
1: It almost makes me think that she got weird vibes from the first entry because she was like, I can't keep going over there. And then he started making moves. She was like, I really like. Right. He like was escalating a bit. And here's the deal
0: too, because I think a lot of people will hear that and be like, then why does she keep going over there if she clearly got bad vibes? But put yourself in a 15-year-old position, and especially put yourself in a 15-year-old position with a 17-year-old boy giving you attention. Because I know from personal experience, whenever an older person in high school pays attention to you, you feel like you're obligated to pay attention to them, right? Like, I mean, it's just kind of the, it's similar, I mean, it's drastically different, but it's also in some ways similar to, like... Workplace, like when your boss pays attention to you, what do you do? Yeah. When you're in high school and a cool seventeen-year-old whose cousins with the Kennedys pays attention to you, what do you do besides pay attention to them? Exactly. And you're not also immediately thinking shit's gonna go zero to one hundred. You're like, oh, this, right. he's being no seventeen year old thinks that an is gonna turn into a murderer. Exactly. So yeah, exactly. So I just think it's important to give her that justice right now because. Yes, she went back over there, but who knows how obligated she felt to. You know what I mean? Exactly. And it's also weird because
1: you, like, know them. So you're like, oh, but he's, all like, also a good and guy in these instances. What is she supposed
0: to do? Create an enemy that lives beside her house? Like, she's trying to just make it work. And like I said, she also just moved there. So she might just be trying to, like, keep her friends and not make ripples. I'm sure that those kids have a hold on the social scene in their high oh. school. Um, moving on. Michael was also known for kind of having a drinking problem and a temper, according to one of the articles that I read. Um, So I do want to include that just in the sense that it might help think about, okay, Martha felt obligated. And, you know, her diary obviously indicates all of those advances. And the police do see that in her diary. So they're like, okay, who are we going to call? Tommy and Michael. Mm -hmm. Let's find out what they were doing that night. So Tommy says that he was with Martha. But then he left to write a paper on Abraham Lincoln. That doesn't add up. Well, I'll tell you why it doesn't add up. doesn't add up. Because the police interview his teachers and not one of them assigned that. Okay, so... So it doesn't add, add, add up. up? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. It doesn't add up. Okay. But he has another piece of his alibi. So apparently there was a new tutor that was hired that day, exactly that day, was his first day. What time? What time? (laughs) I know, I'm like, like, when did he show up? Let me find out. So his name is Kenneth um, Littleton, and the day, like I said, the day that Martha died was his first day, but apparently Kenneth was like, hanging out in the house i i guess maybe he was there because there were no parents home i don't know if maybe a yeah. dad was just like hey i know you're the tutor but could you be the nanny tonight <laughs> i don't really know how rich people work you
1: right is that just what they do no i'm
0: kidding but seriously so anyway i guess around 10 p.m the tutor kenneth was watching the french connection and tommy joined him to watch this like famous chase scene like i said it took place at 10 p.m um and the tutor said that there was nothing that appeared to be wrong with Tommy. So this is all
1: like the tutor's accounts of like yes. what happened. okay. And
0: so now the police are thinking okay well this probably rules out Tommy because the murderer A would have been covered in blood yeah. because this is a brutal attack and B like no 17 year old murderer can just like act unscathed when they're just watching this like car chase scene with their brand new tutor like he would be weird yeah. right? Yeah. But also, I have to think, like, does Kenneth even know what's weird for that kid? Because Tommy and Kenneth, I don't know, this is their first day spending time together. Yeah, that's so true. So, I don't know. But they ultimately do give Tommy a polygraph, and he passes it. Now, Michael's account is that he was at his cousin's, like he said before, um, watching Monty Python, and then he returned home at 11.30 p.m. to go to bed. Rushton at first, like, of course, he, like, speeds home from his hunting trip because he finds out that, you know, his kids are being questioned and whatever. So he comes home as soon as possible. And they do actually cooperate with the police initially, but it doesn't last long. And Rushton does end up ceasing all cooperation with the police. And he also ends up firing the tutor, Kenneth Littleton.
1: Okay, but that doesn't... Okay, do the police find that sketch then? Because, like, literally the tutor was Tommy's only alibi.
0: Right. But we also should look at it in the sense that, like, maybe that being Tommy's alibi was really Kenneth's alibi. Because Ooh. if Kenneth was sitting down with Tommy, then right. Kenneth is now not part of the equation. So yeah. I think it could be spun in a suspicious way, and it also could be an in- a way that maybe Rushton was suspicious of Kenneth. So I think that that, at first that rang some alarm bells in my head, but once I considered it, I think it probably, like, I don't know, it could go either way.
1: I think if I think about it for too long, I could definitely dive into it and be like, no, but this means that he right. did it's it. Right,
0: it's tricky no matter <clears throat> what. Like, yeah. I I don't want to spend too much time on it, you know? <laughs> So, at this point, the case just kind of goes cold because the police have no leads. They're like, okay, everybody's got an alibi. But, like, okay, we're going to listen to this 15-year-old and this 17-year-old about their alibi. I'm sorry, right. but, like... <laughs> it's not word people of People have gone to prison for much less. Ma- ooh. So, you know, at this point, obviously, the United States as a whole is engulfed in this case. You can't be a Kenny- Kennedy cousin and be wrapped up in a murder and, like... It's you're, 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 no, my, good. you're gonna just be the the highlight of everybody's news yeah. week. I could also imagine
1: like a town like that, no crime around, of like a ri- like. Not to put this on like a rich girl who does get murdered in a town like that. I mean, you're gonna make headlines.
0: Exactly. I mean, literally, it's like white woman syndrome to the nth degree because it's also white woman syndrome killed by a Kennedy. Mm-hmm. So, ultimately, Rushton hires um, his own investigators to find out what happened and essentially clear his son's names. Now, both brothers were then interviewed by the private investigators, and their stories change. See, that's so sketchy to me. (laughs) Of course, and this is the part that I really get sweaty telling because I don't like talking about horny teenagers, like I said, and this is really the part that's gross, so just bear with me. So, Michael's story changes, um, actually, let's talk about Tommy's first, because Michael's is weird. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Tommy said that he was with Martha for a while, and they engaged in, quote, heavy petting. I don't, I don't like that. And now, this makes me feel weird because it's almost like he's trying to get ahead of if the police find physical evidence that there was a sexual assault. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? It's kind of like he's putting it into the equation. Like, it's like when... Um, a perpetrator on SVU gets caught, and at first they're like, oh, no, I I wasn't even near them. And then they're like, well, we have your semen on the pants. And they're like, oh, well, I had consensual sex with her that night. That's what Tommy is doing in my head. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's like, just in case you guys find anything, heavy petting was involved. Right. Gross, Tommy. Great. We weren't thinking that you were with her heavy petting, but now we are, and we don't like it. Because he's, like, establishing his. Yeah, he's like, yes, I was very close to the, ugh, I don't like it. And, um, in one, in one, um, podcast that I was listening to about this, they do, like, question the fact, like, oh, could that be why her pants were down? But to me, that just says, like, if her pants were down and he was doing heavy petting with her and her pants were still down, he killed her. Because she wouldn't just be, like, walking around town with her pants down until she gets murdered by somebody else, like, you know what I'm saying? He either killed her or was present while she was being killed.
1: Because why would her pants be down and then, like, she suddenly, like... A murder comes up, and you
0: don't and he, know. Like, didn't recognize, like, didn't see what was happening. I don't know. So, like, I'm thinking, no, that doesn't explain why her pants were down, or it doesn't. He's the murderer. Mm-hmm. Um, so what about Michael's? No, Michael's <laughs> story is that he snuck out of the house at midnight and climbed into a tree outside Martha's house and masturbated, and like. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's so, first of all, disgusting and violating. But second of all, if you consider the fact that he knows at this point that Martha was dead by then, Ooh. it is, like, such a disturbing thing to me. Yeah. It, oh, I don't know. It's very, very It's disturbing. also
1: weird how they both have this, like... I don't want to say fixation, but, like, fixation on Martha. Like Right,
0: like, both of their alibis had to be, like, a sexually charged thing about Martha. Yeah, ew, and,
1: like, ew, you I both just, are almost, like, ew. suspicious. To, well, not almost, almost suspicious, but, like. <laughs> they're
0: suspicious as hell. Like,
1: I feel like they both know what happened.
0: Right, Like, exactly. whether one of them did it or it's not. It's like they're tiptoeing around the fact that, like, if you find physical evidence that I was in the area, I was, but I'm not the killer. It's very yuck to me. So this info actually wasn't supposed to be public, because it was just the private investigators that that looked into it. Oh my god, I'll edit it out. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Tell everyone, tweet it. Um, but it was leaked to the media in 1985, which is nuts. Like, wow, what a big blow up in rushton's face because he was like let me preserve my son's images no now everybody knows your son was masturbating in a tree and the girl wasn't even home how embarrassing if he's not the killer i hope at least he's embarrassed for that he he has to be he's gotta be humiliated everybody knows you were masturbating to nothing there was no girl there i mean really okay So, due to these testimonies, um, law enforcement kind of starts believing only Michael was involved in it.
1: That makes me question if that was just because of the severity of it, of just being like, oh, I had, like, my whole, like, schlong out in a tree. Right, they were like, your brother said he was
0: just heavy petting, so you're the sketchier one. Yeah. But it's almost like, okay, well, maybe his brother's just lying better. I don't... Regardless, (laughs) they're both so sketchy still, and I feel like they should both be on police's radar. But here is why police focus in on michael okay for two years after everything goes down michael skakel attends the elon school in poland spring maine and now this is a private institution which at the time catered to children with mental health and substance abuse problems oh his dad said you're going away away yeah and it makes you think was his dad a little afraid of him Or, at the end of the day, it could have, because people did say that he had an alcohol problem, it could have spiraled after his friend was killed. So, I'm not pointing any fingers, but I am saying he was in this institution. That is the fact. Now, according to numerous accounts, Mr. Skakel blurted out during a group therapy session that he had killed Martha. But Joe Ritchie, the school's owner, denied that such a confession had ever occurred. So... I don't know if Joe Ritchie is a liar, but that is what I'm going to leave you with there.
1: And when you say Mr. Skakel, you mean Michael, right? Not like his dad
0: or something? No, Mr. Michael Skakel, I said. Oh, okay. I shouldn't have been so silly. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to keep this <laughs> um,
1: Okay, anyway. <laughs> I shouldn't have been so silly
0: i'm still reeling from the fact that i had to talk about masturbating in a tree, the tree of all things <laughs> how are you comfortable what if a fly got in there i swear this is because it's before the internet Ugh, gross um another witness said that michael actually never even went to his cousin's house that night like he said which guess what yeah we know that because he was busy in the tree after the state is like so convinced that it is michael The state of Connecticut appoints an investigator and a one-man grand jury in the Moxley case. So in 1999, Michael is indicted for the murder and he is convicted in 2002 and sentenced to 20 years to life. Now, I think it's important to also note that uh, that a huge thing in the courtroom was talking about whether he should be tried as an, an adult or not. Because he was, I think, 41 at the time that this was all going down. Oh, right, because it went cold But he was 15 when it happened. So it's like, do we charge you for what you did as a 15-year-old and charge you like a 15-year-old, or do we charge you as the adult that you are now? So essentially, he was sentenced to 20 years because they chose to charge him as an adult because of the, you know, gravity of the crime. Now, after the hearing concludes... Michael walks to the railing by the first row of, like, the spectators and stands right in Dorothy Moxley's face and says, quote, I feel your pain, but you've got the wrong guy. Who are you? Uh, It's so
1: disgusting and bold
0: to me because whether she's got the wrong guy or not, she's not the police. She's a grieving mother. Don't say, I feel your pain, but guess what? He's still out there. Oh, so you don't feel her pain at all? Like, or what? Else would sit what a there kind and of statement up. is that? Like, maybe you were done an injustice. Maybe it's not you, but you're a f- monster for talking to a grieving mother like that. Like, ew, ew. So that just really—I wanted to include that because I think that that was a really gross thing that he did. Now, two witnesses who were both former classmates of Michael Skakel's at the Elon School do testify. One of them, John D. Higgins, describes the, like, really confused and tearful admission that Michael said. Um, Apparently, he only had fragmented memories of the crime. And as you remember, he was drunk that night. According to Dorothy Moxley, he was hungover the next morning, you know? So if he does have these, like, fragmented memories of the crime, it's like, was it because you were too intoxicated? Now, the other witness, Gregory Coleman, says that Michael Skakel brazenly told him, quote, I'm going to get away with the murder. I am a Kennedy.
1: Oh, my. The arrogance. Well, if it's yes. true, but I, it's.
0: Ugh. But I mean, now, he testified. It, yeah. And, and another thing that I think I need to bring up is, so RFK Jr., I think he felt drawn to help his family members. Um he supposedly received a tip about criminal Tony Bryant, who is a random criminal, okay. I think from the Bronx. Could or have been something. anyone. <laughs> um, he alleged that he transported two people um, that night to Bellhaven, and those two people probably killed Martha. Now, there's literally not one shred of evidence to support this, but if RFK Jr. says it, we believe him right? <laughs> oh my god right like what the hell is that and also i'm sorry but he's an environmental law attorney so like, oh, don't get involved please it. do not, not um, i just
1: not marshall from how i met your mother oh i Guess wish I'm, you said that like, faster uh, yeah. i would
0: have landed so good <laughs> i'll edit it so it's like time that's okay <laughs> yep i know that's a, actually every time i hear environmental lawyer i'm like that is marshall But he could only be so lucky if he were Marshall. Anyway, after an unsuccessful appeal in 2013, Michael appealed again. And everyone's like, Michael, please stop. It was you. Mm -hmm. His initial defense apparently forgot to interview a key witness and also did not provide evidence of an alibi, which the court called, quote, constitutionally inexcusable. And it undermined, quote, confidence in the reliability of the conviction, So, essentially, it becomes overturned. And I'm like, hello? The reason why they didn't provide an alibi was because they didn't want to say their dude was in the tree masturbating. Exactly. That's why they didn't provide an alibi. It's not because they were a bad, but whatever, though, right? Okay, so, anyway, in 2016, the conviction was then reinstated and then overturned again in 2018. Because, I don't know, forget Double Jeopardy or anything, let's just play this whole, like, back and forth, overturning, return, blah, 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 blah. I mean, what is this, like... What is the point of double jeopardy if we can do this? Exactly. <laughs> um, so, on October 30th, 2020, 45 years to the day, the prosecution announced that they would not retry Michael Skakel because there was not sufficient evidence. Of 51 witnesses, 17 are dead, which, I mean, I don't know Perhaps. that exact math, but there's still a lot of witnesses alive. I feel like we... can could... Okay. But whatever. Dorothy Moxley, I feel like she gets the last word. She says she still believes Mr. Skakel killed her daughter. Mr. Skakel. I don't know why this is all over my notes. I mean Michael. (laughs) I hate myself. Um, She still believes that Michael Skakel killed her daughter, but that she did not need him to spend any more time in prison. Because he did spend 10 plus years already in prison. Mm -hmm. Quote, I will never forget the day they found him guilty. It gave me all the sense of justice I needed. Mm. So I get it. She feels. and, And, you know, if he was the one that did it. He was fifteen, so he got plenty of time. That's what we would have given a fifteen-year-old, if not much less. Yeah. So there is a sense of justice in that way that he served for the crime he committed, if he committed that crime. But now I want to talk about a few more things before we wrap this up, okay. because like, did Kenneth do it? Why I don't do I know going where back I land. On? I. The defense is very convinced that Michael Skakel is innocent. And I don't think we looked into Kenneth enough. And now I think it's important to say Kenneth Littleton was actually never formally questioned until the summer of 1976, which is almost an entire year after it happened. And prosecutors left and right called Michael a spoiled brat, which I just love, but they did say that that might have like swayed the jury, which, I don't know, would have swayed me. Right.
1: I'm, like, <laughs> I'm never this... going to
0: get jury duty because of this podcast. They're going to be like, as And also, the dog barking, how that's, like, the biggest piece of, like, well, you were with her at 930 and the dogs were barking. Maybe the dogs were barking because kids were loud in the neighborhood. Like, it was mischief night. And I hate to say it, it
1: doesn't. There's no physical evidence.
0: No, and and it's actually even worse. Police left her body unattended for a while after they found it, and a literal neighborhood dog walked all over it. I... So if there was physical evidence, maybe it was completely tarnished by the lack of... And, and I can't even blame them, because the last time they investigated a murder was 30 years before this. These people have been playing Scrabble, which was invented in Connecticut. Really? Yeah, it was. Hmm. Um. Anyway, they have been playing Scrabble... <laughs> For 30 years, and they had no idea how to investigate a murder. I, I
1: and now mean, here we insane. are wondering
0: if JFK's cousins did it. <laughs> Distant cousins from JFK. RFK's cousins. But still.
1: I mean, it's just... I have so many questions. There's no physical evidence, so I naturally I can't think that Michael did it. I think they definitely should have looked into the tuna more. I mean, hello? He was just a random guy that just got hired that day? Is that not coincidence and enough? And when we somehow
0: trust him? Mm-hmm. I mean, like...
1: Uh, I mean, this case is just so confusing. Sad. And I have
0: no answers to give you, but a Kennedy cousin, I had to talk about it. And you know what? I hate to drop this on you guys because the episode's over, but there was another cousin of the Kennedys who was actually convicted of murder in Florida. Maybe one day we'll talk about it. Thanks for listening. You can catch us on Instagram at the Chalkline Pod. Twitter at the Chalkline Pod. And you can follow along with our YouTube channel. The link is in our Instagram bio. Tune in next Thursday for another story.